So this episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker and Meg, why don't you run down what Inside Tracker is and what you can get? Yeah, so Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics. With a simple blood test and using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. And the good news for our listeners is for a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash drop in. Hi, I'm Thomas with Believe in the Run. And this is Robbie with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And you're listening to The Drop, our weekly podcast about all the nonsense that goes around with running and our nonsense around running. And this week, we got a great one for you. We've got Dustin I am. for our interview, who is Lab Rat Run. He's the one who actually tells you if the shoe is actually more efficient than you think. I don't know if I'm even saying that right. And then we even have a special time. We're going to, in our normal little preamble here, when we talk about a new shoe, we have Todd Fokker from Puma who's going to chime in and give us his thoughts on the new Puma Fast R. Yeah, it's actually Lab Rat Rundown. Yeah, I always don't put the down. It's kind of Lab Rat. Anyways. Lab uh, Rat Rundown. I'll, I'll stop correcting you. That's right. You can just start talking about other stuff. We could. Um, so, uh, Megan, you're continuing to build up to your Boston Marathon. You got that training going. How's that going? Uh, it's going pretty well. I did a long run this Saturday, which I did it by myself, and I kind of forgot that forgot. I don't love running long runs by myself. Is, you don't usually do that? Oh. I do, but it, it had been a while. Like, I did a race, and then I was running with the Faster Bastards. And oh, right. So the whole thing was by yourself. Yeah. But I did get a shout out from Riley, who started yelling no salmon to me around mile 14. Oh, which which did I you loved. see, Megan, that her code word is no salmon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also her password to all her social media networks. Um, Jeez, oh, no. Uh, and the, the then. Those are zeros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. Um, but yeah, so, and then did another. Decent workout this morning, so the build's going fine. Okay, what I loved about her workout this morning, Robbie, was her pace for her entire 15 miles. Mm -hmm. Wow, you did run 15 miles. You're not lying. Yeah, was my 1K paces for my 5 times 1K workout this morning. Yeah. Okay. 1K, is that even a distance? Isn't that it's like a, 10 feet? You got it. No, 1K is like the worst. It's like a little over a half it's mile. It's 0.62 miles. Oh. It's the worst. No, why are we doing K things still with workout? Because it's a 5K it's preparation. The perfect, it's the perfect workout before the 5K. It's five 1Ks broken up. So if you can nail those, you can mm. do the 5K. It's science. F uh, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, but anyway. I don't know if it does I'm make in sense. The, right now I'm that uh, meme with like the woman doing the math. math. Or the <laughs> yeah. <Alvin Akis one. laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, sorry. Man. I don't know if it does make sense because... It, I mean, technically, yeah, it makes sense. It's five one Ks, but when you run a race, you gotta. It's 
you do all the five one Ks at the same time. You yeah, don't, but you don't have the breaks in between. Mm-hmm. It's the training. It's yeah. not. Do you run a marathon before you run a marathon? I do. <laughs> you run five. I five run. I run five marathons. But you don't run the total mileage of the marathon. No, because it's not. (laughs) That's ridiculous. You also don't taper for two weeks for a five k. Yeah, well, some people. Mm, (laughs) I don't. I was getting so excited for the taper. I tapered two weeks just in training. Speaking of needing a taper, Robbie ran up a mountain this weekend. Yeah, Uncle Rico style. Yeah. Now, you always say Uncle Rico, he throws the ball over yeah, the mountain. it was like he threw me over the mountain. Okay. I wish he threw me over because it was terrible. Yeah. I mean, I have to say there's certain runs that sometimes I see people post runs and I'm like, that, oh, that's beautiful. I wish I was running on those trails. I wish I could get up in those mountains. Or <laughs> Robbie's look like, uh, I was like, oh my God, I would have <laughs> turned around and not done that. Yeah, route. I don't even know. I, I got sent this route uh, from somebody and it's near where, uh, where my parents live in Pennsylvania. So it's kind of back along the, they're called the blue mountains. A lot um, of banjos and yeah. Porch fiddles. Yeah. I did pass a hunter <laughs> at one point. Uh, he thought I was an animal, which I probably oh, should have like geez. yelled because I mean, I was on a fire road, but it was like, he was walking down mm-hmm. and he had his uh, like rifle and everything. And he yeah, heard me from far away. <laughs> he heard me from, and he like stopped and was like kind of looking around. And I was like, he's going to see me. Now you didn't have any neon at all. No, I had antlers on. Okay. That helps. Yeah. Um, no, I, those, that was just what I wear. Robbie fun. Rancoon. Uh, no, actually I was, dr- well, I, I asked my, uh, my sister's boyfriend who runs or who hunts. If I was like, is this still hunting season? Like back here. And he's like, nah, you're good. Like whatever. It's still hunting season. Yeah, I, I I have a feeling that it's hunting season. It's literally like when, all year always, round. Yeah, yeah. when then whenever whenever you have a, a gun with some ammo. Yeah, and there's no cops around. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, so I was not dressed for that. Anyway, so I went. Yeah, it was over this mountain, and then I probably should have looked at like what the actual route was before I did it. And uh, the backside was all in the shade, so it was like had snow yeah it's cold and it was like a sheet of ice like it's basically. not the shade you want right now no it was just 25 degrees out and then so the whole you would usually get a downhill mm-hmm. but it was all just like a sheet of ice so i had to like walk it basically and then uh rail show and it was like the most depressing but run ever like big rocks yeah it was it just looked gray it was sad because there's everything's dead there's no humans there there's no birds or animals you're just running like it's just yeah, like it uh, didn't it, you're like I, selling I, this one well he I'm posted the story and i was like hmm, never was, gonna do that run but i i really almost turned around like a uh, half mile in because i was the like pride. my legs were super dead from the day before too because i did like almost a speed workout uh 10 miles and i was just like yeah the pride and i was like you know i am training for 50k so i was like if i can power through this mm. like then i can power it'll be through. good like training for that and uh yeah like the flats and stuff were fine but then i hit this it, it went i was like on a rail trail i was like cool it's like this isn't bad and then it i had the route on my chorus watch and it's like beers off to the right and i'm like is there even a it just looks like the middle of the woods I see a blue blaze, and I'm like, "This there isn't even a trail here. It's just rocks and, like, limbs and everything. Like, there's not even a trail. And then it goes, like, straight up another mountain. <laughs> like, literally straight up. It was 1,100 feet in, uh, like, 0.9 miles. Mm. Which, like, the grade was thirty around 25 to 30%, like, the whole time. And so this is great. 
Uh, Robbie and I ran together on Tuesday, Monday. What day? Yeah, Tuesday. 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 Mm -hmm. So we run together on Tuesday, and and my legs had been feeling kind of shot after uh, the weekend's uh, runs. So I took Monday off, and I I get out there, and I'm like, you know what? This is weird. I was expecting to be a little more sore. I feel great. Robbie and I are running together. I say to Robbie, I was like, wow, this run's just kind of cruising by. It just feels great. And Robbie's like, yeah, not so much. You're like, I'm dying. Um, (laughs) It really was horrible. But anyways, um, overall, though, like, oh, and then I got to the top of this ridge, and you're running along the top of the mountain, but... Oh, they, you're still going? Oh, hold on. <laughs> but they clear cut. They clear cut the whole mountain, so it's just windy as hell. Nice. And then, uh, and then once I finally got down, I was like, it showed to cross this creek, and I'm like, there's no bridge here, <laughs> and I don't know where the next bridge is. And it was probably a hundred foot feet wide. Like it was a decent creek, so I had to take my shoes and socks off because uh, I, I had still had decent mileage left. Yeah. Still thirty degrees out. And waded across the creek, like up to my knees, uh, in 40 degrees. I mean, it's so I a mountain. Taken, I wouldn't take my shoes off. Yeah, it was freezing. That's how you get hypothermia and, like, die in the woods. No, I was I was plenty warm. <laughs> Trust me. Um, anyways, and then it was a whole another, and I'd go back on another mountain. And then I tripped over a branch and fell around my face. <laughs> I don't know what a holler is, but I'm guessing that you ran through a couple hollers. Yeah, it was actually it was a holler. It was similar to a holler. Okay. What's a holler? I don't know. It's like we're uh, just out in the woods. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, like kind of a valley, like a. It's like back where like my ancestors grew up in, yeah. West, in West Virginia. Okay, there, let's just put it this way: there's no Dennis or anything like that back in hollers. It's just like very backwoods, like kind of in in the in between the mountains, like an oh, okay, like a holler. dip. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. Uh, anyways, so. Yeah, it was uh, quite the adventure, but I'm glad I did it. Yeah. And uh, and you feel confident now that you can, if you can withstand that. You can do the 50K. Yeah, because yeah. doing the back-to-back, the 10-mile and the 60-mile. Is the 50K the weekend before um, uh, Boston? It's no, March it's, 19th, so it's in two weeks. It's, yeah, it's a month before. Okay, what is the f- half marathon the same weekend? The weekend hat and then the half marathon. Oh, yes, I'm not doing that half marathon. Yeah. I might not be running that loop with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot you were maybe going to join me for that. I might. I, I would like to because I love that course. I just don't feel like running mm. the, the 50K. It It's a love-hate relationship. It's Yeah. But I, it sounds a lot better than your run. That yeah, I think weekend. it'll be. I mean, it, it'll be That's a That's always easier. fun. You'll yeah. enjoy it no I, matter what. I, I love that race. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so that was a, yeah, it was a good adventure, but. Uh, I actually took today off too because I was still feeling beat. By the way, I took the CBD, um, <laughs> <laughs> the performance tea stuff uh-huh. that we had, and I gotta tell you, like the stuff's legit. Wait, performance tea? It's called performance Wait, tea. Wait, you took it when? Oh. Last night. Oh, for the sleepy ones? Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't sleep- tried the sleepy sleep. time. I haven't tried the sleep. Oh yeah, man, it's good Should sleepy I try time. It? <laughs> yeah. And did you do a hot or cold? Hot, hot tea. Because I'm a hot mm. tea. Um, I like that. Maybe yeah, maybe not tonight because tonight is Wednesday and that's a great day for me. It's um, just I I took it right before you know I was like I was actually drinking my tea in bed, uh, <laughs> Cosmo Kramer style, and I was like you know reading a book, getting getting sleepy, and then uh, I didn't wake up during the night. Just woke up like uh, around when I was supposed to wake up, which is nice because usually I wake up a lot in the middle yeah. of the night. What so? 
You, Meg, have been doing the melatonin. Every night. I you, do the melatonin. You, you do it every night? Every mm. night. See, I feel like they're just... Like, no, it works. It doesn't build up. <laughs> I, every night I'm like... Oh. Also, I can't fall asleep at night because I can't turn my brain off. And I take melatonin and 30 minutes later I'm asleep. You're, it's like clockwork. Yeah, you're... This sounds like an addiction. I don't it care. Is, I, yeah, it's a good it's one. It's a delicious little gummy that I get to eat before bed. It is. It's like a treat. It's like mints on the pillow. Quote, unquote, melatonin. Um, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, make it is Wednesday night. We both did our workouts today. Will we, will we be having, and I know this is airing on a Friday, but we recorded on a Wednesday. Uh, will we be partaking in uh, Wednesday night cocktails? Who knows? Wacky Wednesdays at the Snowy <laughs> Burger Murray house. <laughs> I live for Wednesday. <laughs> I, I'm like two days off. Oh, so do you just drink cocktails like on one day? Yeah. During I mean, training? Well, no, I'll do the weekends, but like on the weekdays, we try to oh, okay. stay. But on Wednesdays. You didn't thir- Thursday night. Oh, did you drink last Thursday night no. at the run? Okay. He couldn't because no. we got our blood tested. Right, right. Yeah. But I am going to start instituting Thursday night drinking. With the with the, uh, with the uh, uh, believe run crew, which meets here right at the headquarters. Yeah, if you're in town, meet up Thursday nights yeah. here. It's actually I hate running at night. Last time I ran was that last week. Yeah, mm-hmm. last week I ran it and I got pad thai before we went for the run. Big mistake. Yeah, big mistake. Uh, so like I want to run it tomorrow. Dude, you had a belly full of noodles. It was man. so gross. It, I when I was running, I I was so afraid that I was just gonna lose my. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um. So this week I, I was, was afraid. I was running behind you at points. Oof. It it was just yeah. It was scary. Sorry. Um, but this week if I come back, I I don't. I've got to figure out the eating because I can't. I can't run like just on lunch, mm. and it's called a snack. Yeah, why don't you just like a granola bar or something? Hmm. Or banana. Like, same thing when you wake up to go running. Yeah. I don't have a banana. I have a graham cracker. Then eat a, graham, eat a graham cracker. cracker. Yeah. All right. But then I, this Whatever week, you do, don't eat a whole meal of pad thai. <laughs> well, here's the problem. I went to the restaurant, <laughs> and it was $17 for the pad thai. And yeah, I had it in like a tray, standard. and I was like... That's a lot. I'm like, I can't throw this out. Did you have a protein on there? Chicken. That's, that does seem a little... I for chicken. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I know, right? Inflation, Steak, though. Maybe? I haven't. Inflation's out of control, though. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. I was Pat like, I probably gave a $2 tip. So it was probably $15 oh, a tip okay. for $2. Well, and anyway. more information comes out, the longer this story <laughs> goes on. Yeah. And so I didn't want to leave it there. And I, I wanted to finish it. And I was like, it's two hours before the run. I'll be fine. <laughs> I ate it all. Spicy. I did the, you know how they have the chart? Yeah, uh, yeah. I which, did the three. Okay. Um, I, out of what? I approve. It, three out of three, right? No, I think it's out of five. Like it goes. Oh, then I'm not goes light, No, I, you have uh, to, It's called the way that we okay, would make it. Okay, it's like a legit place. Yeah. Some, some of those places, like three. Means they basically nothing. warn you not yeah, to do. I, Don't I go it. above three. Yeah, and I will tell you it was nice and spicy. Just the right amount. Like I had that, you know, when your forehead starts to sweat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got that. That's a good spice. Um. And so I ate that whole thing and I was like, I got two hours before the run. I'll be fine. Those noodles don't move. They did not move. And the, and the way back, um, it's, so it's a little five mile thing. Mm. We, we were coming back and the last mile and a half, I was like having like what I would assume yeah. cramps are like for women. I saw <laughs> your face. It looked like you were being interrogated under one of those like heat lamps in a, in a, in a back like jail yeah. room. Like you're not. I was like, <laughs> like oh, well. Boy. So yeah, but if I come back 
tomorrow. That is true because I will I will probably have a couple of beers because it's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. Like it, sitting here without beers last week, less fun. I mean, less, I, it was fun, you but it seemed was, like you're having a good time. I was, but it was less fun. Like I didn't say that many inappropriate things. Yeah, <laughs> you'd had much less to regret that evening. I did. I, I probably have, slept better. You know what? I, I haven't been drinking much, like at all. I think I'm starting to get bored with it. Oh wow, mm. Robbie's changing a new leaf. Is that what they? I say? don't know what you do to get bored. Like for me, I think the appeal is. Like if we have a cocktail night, it just the shoulders relax. The worrying about the rest of the Uh stuff I got to do kind of takes a Mm. side seat, and I just kind of like it's like a exhale. Yeah, it's a very healthy habit. (laughs) All my worries. I'm trying to sell sell you back on alcohol. Yeah, no, I just it's like there's a lot of net. It seems like the older you get, there's more negatives. That there is. I, I, I would agree. <laughs> I would agree with what you're saying. The sleep thing, that stuff. But like, I feel like one cocktail. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure. If I had one, <laughs> one cocktail that's filled to the brim in a four, yeah. 24 ounce mug of straight vodka, one bottle of vodka. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, anyway, so you've learned something. One, I eat. Uh, animal products because so, I had chicken in my Thai food and I will drink alcohol from time to time mm-hmm. and wonder why You're a real my, rebel. How's your why, 5K training? Well, why, why, why my paces don't <laughs> drop. Um, actually, today, I told you I was hanging on for dear life on those uh, 1K repeats and uh, got it done. I Two reasons I got it done because like definitely doing the third one, I was like, I am dying. I want to quit, but kept going. And then on the last one, that one I was like, Megan's probably running this pace for 15 miles. And then the last one I went again was like, this, I just want to stop. And I didn't because I was like, I don't want to look at Megan's face when I tell her to stop. Oh, I'm glad you I'm a good that sentence. I'm a good motivator. You are. Uh, I have a question. Hit it. Meg. What's up? Do you still do speed training if you're not training for a race? Or are you just always training for a race? Uh, well, recently, it's just I'm always training for a race. But I do like to add in speed, even if there's like not a real goal, because one, I get bored. And two, I just think it, it like, I don't know, it makes running more enjoyable and like you feel better. I can tell you from my experience, when I've trained for ultras and stuff, I will lose leg speed if I just do long, slow distance runs all the time. And it's harder for me to like, I need to do, I do the striders after some runs and I do like, if I'm not doing speed work, I still do striders after uh, my run, pick up the pace and try to just get that leg turnover going. But also it will disappear. Don't you feel like really great after hard speed work? Uh, yeah. Endorphins. Like kick in. I think I get addicted to that. Along with melatonin and vodka. <laughs> Less vodka. Definitely addicted to melatonin. Yeah. Mm. Why? Okay. I, I think here's another thing. Like alcohol, the younger you are, the more you can get away with just turning on the engines. Uh, well, right. If you haven't. But as you get older, you lose your fast twitch muscles. So if you don't do high intensity training, one, you're not going to work out. Like they say, one of the number one things for aging athletes is to do high intensity workouts. So you need to get your heart revving uh, at a certain uh, 
at a certain whatever mm-hmm. heart rate. And then two, I you you will lose your fast twitch muscles. I think you just lose muscle mass in general. Yeah. I mean, I think you could make a converse argument in some ways too, though, if you're doing, I guess, too much speed work, too many runs no, no, too yeah. fast. Oh, they, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they say they're... I guess like the 80-20 rule. I also like... I think it is something like that. I go back to like you got to... fourth of your training. You got to be enjoying it if you want it to be sustainable. Like you're not going to continue doing something if you just don't enjoy it. Not necessarily true. I continue to get on the bike trainer and do that stuff, even though like it's the last thing I want to do. Like I appreciate it after I'm done doing it, mm-hmm. but like getting myself on the trainer. But that's not a daily thing for you. That's because you don't like <laughs> yeah, it. It's yeah. not sustainable. I'm it saying is sustainable because like, I, I still do you're it. You're saying you need to like it to. Yeah. I still want both of you guys to come out for one of the faster bastard Sunday runs, uh, uh, rides. Because that is Dude, enjoyable pain. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not doing it. Okay, I'll tell you why. Because I 100 percent don't trust that you guys to not drop me. Oh no, it's no drop. Everyone says these. No, things. no, no, it's no not- drop. It's, oh, come on, fast, fast run. It's no drop. Everyone's running 7:30, and the last person is a mile behind. No, 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 no. It's totally different on the bikes. Like they literally will stop and wait for people and make sure that nobody. Like it's a safety thing. Okay. It's, okay. it's not like the running thing where, yes, there are every, every once in a while, someone will come out that's like just driving the pace. But the thing is more is it's like that maybe somebody gets carried away with the pace mm-hmm. and the group spreads out a little okay. bit, Okay. but then they get to a certain place and stop. And it's also right. like 15 miles out. We stop and have coffee and stuff like that. Get back on the bikes, ride back. And there's different places like there's, some monster climbs where everybody waits at the top of the climb. Okay. So like All right. That. Nobody cares about this. Yeah. Yeah. The podcast. Nobody does. Okay. So let's dive into the Puma fast R with Todd Fogger. All right, so we're getting getting into the part of our weekly podcast where we do a little bit of a mini shoe review. And for the first time ever, mm. we actually are doing a mini shoe review with someone who helped design the shoe, which is pretty pretty sick. That's pretty fancy stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you what his name is. It's Todd Fokker, <laughs> and he's with Puma USA Running. Previous guest on the show, by the way. Yeah, we've ha- actually done a full podcast. So if you really want to do a deep dive with Todd... You can go back into our archives and check it out. But today, we're really just going to focus on the Fast R. Originally, Megan had gotten a chance to run in it. The rest of us hadn't. But now, all of us, including young Brandon, who is not in the room, uh, have put on the Fast R, done some miles, and it got the feel issue, and have a pretty pretty interesting take on it all, all around. So without further ado, Todd, why don't you walk us through 
the thought behind this shoe and why this shoe exists. Yeah, absolutely. And if if I'm not wrong, this is I think this is time number three. So am I the, the most visited Believe in the Run guest? <laughs> yeah, yeah. two more visits and we'll get you that Saturday Night Live jacket with the, with the patch on <laughs> yeah. it. That's, that's what we need. Puma Fast R, you know, this is a concept that we started almost three years ago at this point. Um, working with our innovation team based out of Germany, we wanted to do a lot of things differently. Um, you know, first and foremost was really to have a, a a visual that would absolutely pop off the stage and really, um, you know, look a lot different. And I, I think in a major way, we delivered that with Fastar. Um, but it wasn't just for looks, right? This whole shoe was designed by starting looking at how the foot actually functions. Um, so, you know, when you're coming in towards the ground, the foot actually first wants to look for cushion, right? And that's where we have this piece of EVA in the heel that is actually a little bit firmer than the P-backs. And we'll get to that in just a second. Um, but to kind of cushion your, you know, your foot's fall, and then we have that full length carbon fiber plate and I can show you in a second, but it is, you know, the most dramatic geometry. Um, and when it comes to plates, basically in the industry, just look at that it's bend like in the middle there. Yeah, yeah, um, if you're listening to this and you can't see the shoe, it basically oh, yeah. looks almost like you could almost say it looks like a high heel or without, a chair without a, without a heel, without the, what do you call the, I guess it's that's a heel. the heel. Yeah. Yeah. A high heel without the heel. <laughs> the heel. Um, without, yeah. right. A three or a three or four inch, or I don't know, however many uh, 38 millimeters is, right? Yeah. So in the heel, the plate is right next to the foot. And then in the forefoot, the plate is right next to the ground. And what that does is really propel you forward in the most powerful way. Um, you know, when your foot is fully on the ground, that's called stance phase, right? And that's where the Nitro Elite, that PVAX-based forefoot, um, which is actually a bio-based version of the PVAX, really starts to sing. Um, so a lot of people will talk about rebound numbers when it comes to foam. Um, we went next level beyond that, which is something that's called a hysteresis curve. And what that does, it actually shows the way that the entire shoe is absorbing all of your energy and then returning all of it. And we look at not just the upside of that, but the downside. And if you measure what's under that arc and that curve, that'll actually give you the entire efficiency of the shoe. Um, and that's where fast are in the combination of the foams and all that works really, really I'm well. I'm backing you up. You, okay, go. Hysteresis. Did I say that right? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, wow. I'm not the scientist, but That's to my understanding, absolutely. Because like I'm normally, I can't remember anybody's name. And then you throw in Hysteresa <laughs> and I got it right on the first bat. That's pretty good. Um, it also would appear to me like the way that it's built, it kind of reminds me of the anatomical foot with the heel. This could be like your plantar fasciitis coming through here where the plate is. Plantar fasciitis. Just the Hopefully not that. I told you I'm bad with names. It's like three seconds ago. I was like, I get bad. But like the plantar and then the forefoot. Um, the sensation of this, I, I, look, before we go forward, I want to hear Megan and Robbie's, and I'll give you mine. Uh huh. Like the sensation of running in this shoe. Yeah. So I, well, do you want me to go? Or yeah, go, go for it. Okay. So I, was you know i hear everyone talk about their carbon plates and the geometry and everything else and i'm like oh, okay like whatever that's everyone says theirs is the best but then i actually i did run in this uh for a long run this past weekend and i do have to say it's the way that you were just talking about like the pop and the especially if you hit it a certain way it's really like springy and lively and i was I was honestly kind of shocked by how much I love this shoe. <laughs> Robbie did. Robbie immediately, like, he came in. He's like, I love this shoe. Yeah. And I texted it to you right after the yeah. run. Yeah. I think that of of the the demographics, I think that we all like this shoe. I think that Robbie, it really hit for your... Yeah, because I like a bit of a firmer, like, snappy uh, feeling shoe. And I felt like that's, uh, I don't know. 
like that. Like I don't like the softer midsoles, but I don't know. How, what do you think, Megan? I liked it. I feel like for me, this is for the half marathon and down. Like I felt like if I was running really fast, that's when I felt that plate and that pop. I felt like when I was slowing down, I didn't get as much of the bounces I wanted. So half marathon for Megan, full marathon for Molly Seidel. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Uh, here's the thing I noticed most about it is this uh, foam in the front. This, is it PBAX? It's a bio-based PBAX, mm-hmm. right? Yep. yep. It, it has such a nice feel. It's probably the closest feeling that I could say if I had to compare it to another brand and the foam. This is the closest feeling to me if you've gotten a chance to wear the Street Fly or just straight Zoom X without um, the plane. It has that really nice, soft feel that has that bounce back. Now, the thing that I found was that, uh, and I've, I've done three workouts and I did, I'm training for like a 5K right now. So I was doing 800 repeats and 1K repeats. And then I just did like a, a run with Robbie where we just went out and filmed a reel, which is, uh, that was actually, we, we were probably like five minute miles on that reel, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Like lightning course, speed. Always. Maybe better. Yeah. yeah. Um, 440. and the weird thing is I found that it performs really well at all speeds. Like it, it performed well when I was doing my repeats. It, I like it even at a slower pace. Megan said that you're not, it didn't feel the same. I didn't, slower I pace. didn't love it at the slower paces. Okay. I like it just, I guess the, my point is for me, at least it came alive when I was like, really running fast and you have to understand i think that megan when she's not running fast is probably further back in the stance phase so maybe uh Mm -hmm. landing more heel and i land more forefoot robbie lands more forefoot yeah same i will say uh a quick pointing this out the stability i was uncertain about at first but then i found it to be pretty stable uh the a four foot issue is pretty wise. So yeah. That helps a lot. I think um, it, people will be scared because this doesn't look like a lot right. to land on. But then when you're in it, I never had a, right. I never felt unstable on the shoe. And I think from the, yeah. from the Puma side as well, like deviate elite, you know, uh, at first when we were, when we were looking at first prototypes of fast dog, we were like, okay, so this is the new marathon shoe. Right. And, and then Molly did her whole Olympic medal thing. Um, and then we just kept <laughs> just getting overwhelmingly just, positive. I mean, right? Like we just kept getting overwhelmingly positive feedback on Deviate Elite. So we are going to keep this around and in line. Um, you know, in April, there should be uh, quite a bit more production of the Deviate Elite. I still think that this is a great democratic shoe in the super shoe space where it will yeah. work for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love what you guys are saying and kind of analyzing when it comes to Fast R that, you know, maybe there are certain paces or sort certain foot strikes, um, you know, different running shoes for different people, right? That makes sense. Yeah, and so before we go further, because I do want to talk about some of the supply and demand stuff, because this uh, Puma's had a little bit of issues with that, and we get a lot of questions about that. But before we get into that, why don't we walk through the rest of the shoe? Because I have to say, the upper on yeah. this shoe is a standout among super shoes. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, like, I, I felt like the upper was probably my favorite upper of any super shoe, definitely. So let's get into that, Todd. What's the what's the magic elixir over here? Why is this why why are we enjoying this so much? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of the super shoes, they don't always run around corners really, really well. Um, so we have two things in the upper that will really help that. One is this mono mesh um, that is, you know, most of the body and particularly in the toe, where you can sometimes in other shoes slip off that platform. This is gonna keep you really nicely locked down. Um, we also have our power tape, which is you know, a new technology that you'll see 
across different Puma um, business units. They're using it in team sport for football. They're using it in a lot of different places, soccer. Um, and that's really going to keep you nice and centered there. But then what a lot of the athletes just keep raving about is this kind of sock-like tongue construction and the way that it you know, yeah. not only hugs the top of your foot, um, but gives you nice like soft padding and cushioning to keep the foot connected. Yeah, I felt like the especially the midfoot area and the top of the foot was and definitely... the heel collar on you know there was less ga- ga- mm-hmm. gaping than I see in some of the shoes. Well, even the deviated elite the, that was a little bit more open in yeah. the heel area. Robbie, breathability on this. Oh, great! I mean, almost too good. My feet right? were freezing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my feet were cold too. I, the the first time I did the uh, repeats in it, it was uh, like a twenty degree day, and I was like, yeah, I hope my feet warm, warm up. up. Yeah, um, but it, it worked out pretty well. Uh, Oh, real quick. Um, I, I did want to ask you this because we talked about this in the first thoughts video. Do you take technology or fit of the upper from other segments uh, like soccer? Because it, it seems like it feels like the fit of a soccer cleat almost, how, how tight. Which Robbie being the uh, kid who played soccer. Yeah, not a ton, like but I, enough yeah. to know. Uh, like yeah, for me, it's work like I stopped like by the time I was like in <laughs> middle school. Hey, yeah. I, I've worked retail and anyone that worked that has worked retail before, you know that person, they come in and they want that upper to just be, you know, locked, locked down, yeah. toes right, smashed at the end. Um, so much of running and performance is really about fit and preference. Um, I was a former soccer player. I used to like a really tight shoe. Then I started running ultra marathons. Now I need you know, crazy <laughs> amounts of toe space. So, you know, I think when you look at different foot shapes, some people have high volume, some people have low volume. Some people have different preferences. Um, I think this fit and shape is actually a little bit different than what the DVA Elite is, which again, from our side, is just a service we're trying to do the, to the different runners, right? Like not every shoe is gonna be perfect for every person, but as a brand, we wanna have different options for different people and their preferences. Yeah, The DVA Elite didn't hit for me. This one does. Yeah. The interesting thing about that is typically you're talking about foot shape. Robbie and I are pretty similar with narrow, low volume feet, but Megan's got a big old club foot <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it's kind of wide. So, but it, it fit uh, this, the fit of this shoe was great for me. Like yeah. I had no issues. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Did Jared try, try my shoe? On? Uh, I don't know. I forget. Maybe put, when you were hooking. Yeah, probably. Um, Todd, I'm really curious. You guys obviously just signed some of the most amazing women in distance running. Frisbee, Dakota fit. I was going to go to Dakota Thomas Lindworm. is not allowed to name anyone. <laughs> I told you the names. I mentioned that at the head of it. But yeah, what what feedback are you getting from some of these ladies and what are they using? That are getting the first, like they the don't f- know Puma before yeah. necessarily this shoe. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I definitely listened to your, uh, your guys' Dakota podcast the other day. Um, you know, I mean, her take is the shoe is just really light and comfortable. Um and with Dakota specifically, she's like, you know, I can do the hard workouts in them. And then, um, you know, my feet and my legs just feel really protected and real, really feel better after a lot of the workouts. Um, you know, someone like Taylor, that's more of a 3K, um, a little bit, you know, maybe 5K, a little bit of shorter, shorter yeah, specialist Taylor Werner. What's that? I said she just crushed one out. Like, yeah, she, yeah, she just ran a, a crazy fast 5k the other day, yeah. 15, 15 low. Um, you know, for her, she's like the shoes bouncy, but it has a little bit of stability as well. Um, which certainly some people like, you know, Andy Frisbee was, is just raving about the upper right saying, wow, this thing really kind of keeps you locked down. But I think by and large, um, you know, even on the guy side as well, um, you know, Pat Tiernan, a, a great runner from Australia is talking about how responsive it is. Um, and you know, not to just keep name dropping all of them, right. Um, <laughs> 
John John Dressel is another one that PR'd uh, for Puma in the half marathon at Houston. And his thing is really just about that plate. And I think this goes back to some of the things that you guys have, have said. <clears throat> you know, at a really, really high speed, our power plate, which is full length um, and has so much coverage, not only in the toe, but then is even reinforced in the midfoot, right? That's how we're able to get that really extreme arc. Um, the really, really fast runners just feel that maximum amount of propulsion. And that's where internally we've done a lot of lab testing, a lot of treadmill testing. And there is a little bit of that correlation. The faster you go, the better the shoe runs for you. Yeah. Cool. Spe speaking of lab testing, and may maybe that's why I'm not getting the most out of the shoes. I'm not that fast. But uh, speaking mm -hmm. of lab testing, today's guest that we have on the podcast is Dustin, who you might know from Lab Rat Run. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he, he said, hey, tell, tell Todd to send, <laughs> send a shoe for testing. So if you want to have this tested and put up against the other shoes, he's he's more than happy to to throw this on the uh, mill for you there i mean um, that would be great we've we've been doing so much testing internally and even some of our athletes um you know are going to come to boston and get on our treadmill we have 3d motion capture you know the whole metabolic cart the whole thing so awesome let's okay. get into um probably not the most fun topic but supply and demand and i i think you have built up, especially with Molly winning the uh, winning the Olympics. As far as I'm concerned, she won. <laughs> you know, I'm you know USA. Um, yeah, but uh, with Molly finishing third and wearing the DVA Elite Nitro, nitro I should mm. get the Nitro That's in there. But the um, the demand of that has been pretty high, and people haven't been able to get their hands on it. I don't think the general public understands. While they they hear that there's shipping issues or stuff, and that all brands are having a little bit of trouble this year getting their their uh, cargo over they're having to fly yeah. it rather than ship it there's people in the Back. factories from covid shut down just it's yeah. just a slew of crap but um this shoe again we put this out and one of the big questions can't are we going to be able to get it like why are you showing this shoe if we can't get it which we're like i don't care if you can't get it i got it <laughs> but um, <laughs> um but uh, can you address like what puma as a brand is struggling with and like what you guys are hoping to achieve with getting shoes on people's feet. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not a, this is not a Puma specific thing by any means. Um, you know, on, on our side, I like the way that you teed it up, right? There really is this concept of supply and demand where look, 2021, March of 2021, we relaunched an entire collection. Yes. I, I thought and hoped and knew that the product was really good and we hope that it would be well received. Um, every single one of the shoes you guys said in your reviews was a hit, right? We didn't make any bad shoes. And so the demand for our product has been really, really high, particularly on the race thing. Not only did we launch in March, but then um, August or whenever exactly the Olympics were, you know, Molly, I mean, she's tough as nails, just had an amazing performance, an amazing day, and she's more than capable of that. But we were just cheering and so excited. And that demand has really just gone off the charts. Um, partially because of the performance, partially because of all of the, you know, the way the whole brand is kind of moving and advancing. And so that's, that happened right in the middle of when a pandemic hit all of us and affected all of our lives in a really, really deep way. Um, and that's, you know, that's been challenging. And, and I always will give credit to our team in Asia that's worked tirelessly to make as many shoes as possible. I think particularly when it comes to talking a lot about these plated shoes as well, um, carbon fiber is, is not easy. I know everybody's obsessed with it and they want carbon plates in every single shoe. It's not easy to source. It's not really easy to handle. Um, and so that is sometimes one of the limiters. Um, 
as well as you know our nitro is a really advanced technology so availability for that is something that we're always making sure to keep um you know keep our eyes on so what are we going to be looking at like if you could forecast like availability in late 2022 early 2023 is there anybody who wants a puma shoe going to be able to grab a puma shoe I mean, supply and demand, ball. right? Hopefully there's so much demand that, that, that we, uh, I don't know, that there's more demand than there always is supply. Um, you know, look, I know so many people want to get their hands on Deviate Elite One. We're about three or four weeks away from having a good push in these. So I think in April, most everybody that wants to try Molly's shoe should, okay. within reason, be able to. Um, you know, and that is what it is. The Fast R, yeah, we're, we're doing this limited um, launch now for a couple different reasons. And, and it's, it certainly is small, it is global. Um, you know, we are in, in four different continents putting pairs out there. Um, but this is always the challenge, right? Like people want the shoes, they want to get them out. Our athletes want to run in them. Everybody does, wants to review it, do all that. Does the, uh, does the early launch or the very limited launch of the Fast R right now, uh, part of that complying with world athletic standards for the athletes to run in come world either Boston or world championships? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is definitely a part of it. Okay. And I know, um, you know, in the olden days, I've been running for a long time, right? Don't need to say any names. Different runners would run in different prototypes. Right. We had an Olympic trials that some people had super shoes and most everyone did not, right? And now we're in this new world where there are these rules. Um, yeah, we want to we wanna get the shoes out there. Um, but for us, it really is about servicing our athletes and performing at the highest level. And if we have the best technology, like, you know, we want to make sure that Molly and Dakota and everyone on the team has the absolute best thing that they possibly can do. Um, but we absolutely care about consumers as well. And so, you know, I think later on in the summer, you will see a lot more fast hours being produced as well. Um, assuming there's a lot of supply chain issues across across the globe, right? So it, it continues to be an issue for every major brand. Um, but yeah, I think later on this fall, there should be enough where within reason, most everybody that wants to get a, a, a deviate awesome. elite for sure. And even some fast hours should be able to get on there. All okay. right. And while we're wrapping up a couple of changes that are going to be in the production model that we've talked about, the power tape's going to be a little bit uh, shorter, correct? Yep, absolutely. Power tape. There's going to be some grooves in the heel of the shoe to give it a little more flex. And yep. did you say it's going to be a little softer than this version or it's staying the um, same durometer? No, no. I, so I'll just walk you through the okay. changes. Like you said, the power tape is going to be a little bit shorter um, on the upper. There will be some grooves put in the heel to the, the foam is a little bit firmer. We're about 45 C in the heel and then 40 in the forefoot. So the heel is firmer to give you that absorption, it's, but also it doesn't feel continue hard. to give you that kind of downhill feeling run. Right. Yep. And then when we look at the plate, um, we actually from the prototype have an even stronger version of the plate. Then the outsole tread will change oh, just right. a little bit. Um, to give you a little bit more grip when you're doing road running, but very, very minimal changes. You shouldn't notice anything from the prototypes okay, to, yeah. uh, to that and, final and, production. And the grip is pretty exceptional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. always. Yeah, Puma so I, I know it, it may sound like a commercial because we have you on and everything like that, but genuinely, I I think overall, we're, we're really excited about the shoe. It's a really fun shoe to run in. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I felt like the DB8 Elite uh, Nitro whatever order the i always get the order wrong but i felt like that was maybe more of a tempo shoe for me or like a it fast landed. day shoe yeah and then this i feel like elevates it into that top tier status yeah. so that's yeah i don't know i love yeah. it so yeah anything else you want yeah, to awesome add? And, and just for 
for statistics reasons as well. Um, so we're at $250 here, mm-hmm. right? Our right. stack heights are 30 in the forefoot, 38 in the heel. Um, and then we're 208 grams, so about 6.9, 7.0 ounces in a, in a men's sample nine. Okay, cool. All right. All right. Anything else we got to add? Check out the written review. We'll add our comments to it. Megan's already written hers out because she's had the most miles. And at this point now, though, I think I have nine, eight, and seven. Math. <laughs> yeah. Math numbers. Yeah. Uh, miles. More, 24. Yeah, 24 miles in the shoe. Uh, and, you know, two of those being workouts. Robbie, you've got miles in the shoe. We've, we, you did a 14-miler, and, and it, I know it's like close to a seven yeah. with me the other day. So we've got miles in it. We're going to give you our thoughts on it. And then, uh, I, I don't, we, I mean, we're just going to continue to, to enjoy running in this shoe. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing I guess we didn't necessarily say, but is fast R, I think for somebody that does land more midfoot to forefoot, which a lot of people do when they're running a little bit faster, that can definitely be one of the places where this shoe sings, um, you know, at different paces, I still find it to be comfortable, but even for me, there are still times when I'll pull out the deviate elite, depending on my workout or the train. Mm-hmm. Um, but then for me, like, I, and I've been in the lab, I've been on the treadmill. Fast R is is a little bit faster even than that other shoe for me. But yeah. you know, everybody's a little bit different. I see it as like a Endorphin Pro. If you're talking about Saucony's lineup, Endorphin Pro and the Endorphin Speed, they kind of work together that way. Some people prefer the softer feel, the speed. You know, so there's. Fast shoes and not to, yeah, I know Todd doesn't want to sit here for an ad for another, uh, <laughs> right, for another company, but it's that it to help the consumer put it into like a place in their mind. That's where I think these kind of fall in together. Um, in that, yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah. All right. Well, Todd, we appreciate you being on and, uh, we look forward to more stuff coming out from Puma and seeing what you got up your sleeves. Cause if this is the direction we're going, it's yeah, a pretty it's fun exciting. direction. It's exciting. Plus, the Velocity Nitro Two is the best. Is be, way better it than does. last year too. Yeah. So that's it, a, it's it a is, much. Yeah. It was a good shoe last year. I think, like Robbie was asking me, somebody wanted to know some daily trainer advice, and it's definitely elevated this year mm-hmm. um, above last year from being a good shoe to being like, yeah, it's that's one I would pull out again and again. Yeah. And you'll continue to see us doing that, right? Like balancing the consistency with the innovation. Velocity and deviate the shoes people love. We're not going to change those much, but yeah, with some of these concepts, working with the athletes, hearing their feedback, and seeing lab data, when we can make the absolute fastest shoe in the industry, we're going to try and do that. So um, you'll see a mix of those things. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to that stuff about the Puma Fast R. Mm-hmm. I think T- you, Todd I, really knows his stuff. He does. sure does. I think <laughs> that you got our opinion pretty solid there. Hopefully it didn't sound too much like a commercial because we are glowing about this year. We do like it, but uh, enjoy. We're now going to cut to our guest this week, which is doing some crazy cool stuff. Uh, Dustin Jobert, the T is silent. 
Um, Is it? Yeah. He's doing some really cool stuff by testing athletes' economy by putting them on the treadmill in these super shoes, measuring their heart rate, their breath, all that kind of stuff to see if they're actually getting a benefit from these super shoes and which super shoes stack up against which ones and provide the most bestest economy. Mm. Can you say most bestest? As, asbestos. I'm doing as best as I can. All right. So listen to Dustin. Let's go. Lab rat rundown. All right. First check in. Hey, you're running. You're breathing a little hard. You might be like, what the hell's going on? But did you think? It's almost spring. Maybe there's some pollen in the air. Maybe I'm developing some allergies or something. So just make sure that you're not thinking that your loss of fitness isn't something else you need to check into and just make sure that you're breathing properly and catch that breath. Dustin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here and chat with you guys. Yeah, I think the first time I ever found out about Dustin was uh, I was on Instagram. I saw one of our photos in a, in a post, and I was like, hey, man, can't use our photo. <laughs> he's like, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't know. <laughs> and I'm like, fine, just give us credit. But it, 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 that was how I first found out about Lab Rat Run, which then I became fascinated with. Because uh, if you don't know Dustin, you should check him out. Lab Rat Run is the Lab Instagram. Rat Rundown or Lab Rat Run? Rundown. Rundown. Uh, well, I'll have to get it correct. Otherwise, <laughs> people won't find it. But Lab Rat Rundown um, on Instagram. And you started posting some of the results from studies. So if you could maybe just maybe talk to us a little bit about, like, one, how you got started with that. And two, how you decided to start putting those results on Instagram. Yeah, sure. So, hey, hey, in my defense, I tagged the photo. I just didn't tag the post. I was, I'm was, i an Instagram noob. At least it definitely <laughs> yeah. was a couple of months ago. So Dory, I, think I that's tried how we, to give photo credit. I just didn't do it right. <laughs> I think that's uh, how we became friends with Ben Johnson as yeah. well. So it all worked out in the end. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So actually, yeah, the kind of my foray in the social media was a, a big step for me. I, I, uh, I always joke I'm an elder millennial, so it's like, I've, you know, Facebook started when I was in college, and that's the only social media platform I've been on. Uh-huh. Uh, so I don't really, do, I have a lurking Twitter account, I guess, but I did the same on Instagram for a long time. But uh, but yeah, we started doing some some shoe testing in my lab at, at uh, Stephen F. Austin State University, and we did a larger project, and I was like, well, you know, this is the kind of stuff there tends to be a disconnect between science and like what's in academic journals and translating that to the average person. And it just seems like with this running shoe research, it's like a good opportunity that there's a lot of average people who are interested in it. And and the running shoe content that is on social media already is like, you know, a big platform for, for people kind of sharing that. And so I thought it would be sort of a good line of research to kind of share on, on the Instagram um, space. Yeah. So like what can you give our listeners a little bit of a rundown of what you're doing in the, on your Instagram space, kind of what your passion is as f- regarding shoes and testing them and everything. 
Yeah, so I, I joke that I'm just like a dumb guy with a metabolic cart. So um, in an in a exercise physiology lab, um, you know, people are probably familiar with different like physiological testing that gets done and from an endurance performance standpoint, right? So yeah, people, VO2 you know, maybe go on and get their VO2 max tested at a lab or they get their lactate threshold tested at a lab. So we can do that kind of stuff in our human performance lab here. Um, but the other kind of big piece of endurance performance, running performance would be running economy, which is essentially how much oxygen it takes or how much energy it takes to run at a given speed. And ideally, you want to be more economical, meaning that you take less energy or less oxygen to work at a given speed. Um, and in turn, that allows you to run faster at the same physiological intensity. So you basically get more MPGs out of your car, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's that's kind of the line of research with the new shoes, you know, the the research that dates back to like 2017 with the Vaporfly prototypes. Um, giving you a 4% benefit in running economy, that's the type of metabolic testing that they were doing. So when you see somebody on like the Gatorade commercial with the mask on and they're measuring oxygen consumption, we're able to indirectly determine energy expenditure that way. And so so that's more or less what like I've been sharing on Instagram, whether it be from, from our larger like published studies or from just case study stuff testing I've done on myself. So yeah. you know, everybody's got like their their N equals one subjective opinion about shoes. And so now I've got, you know, some N equals one objective data kind of using the, the gold standard testing equipment. What I love about it, and obviously you're putting science behind it, but you just said everybody's got their subjective um, opinion about it. And so far you've backed up all my opinions. So I'm <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, this is a shoe that's easier to run in. And, and it's weird because, you know, one thing I want to ask you about is, I've always said if your max pace is X versus somebody else's max pace at X, the shoes still help you run more efficiently for the most part. Is that, have you found that to be true? Like, so say that my race pace is a 739 and, you know, Robbie's here for a marathon is going to be 720 something. Um, it, we're both going to see the same type of benefit from that as an athlete who's like, say running a sub, uh, two twenty marathon, there's still, we're still seeing it might be a greater effect, but we're getting the same help out of the shoes as they are, aren't we? Yeah. So if you look at the published research lit to date, um, you know, there's a handful of, of published super shoe studies now, mostly on the Vaporfly line. Um, and then our, our larger comparison study that we did with multiple shoes, but, most of that research in terms of like fixed speeds that have been tested at are like 13 to 14 kilometers per hour and faster. So like seven fifteen, seven minute mile pace and faster. So in, in those results have kind of shown independent of speed, the percent benefits you get is similar. So from, you know, seven minute mile pace up to like 520 mile pace in the faster studies that have looked at a range of speeds. But we haven't really seen research that has looked at slower speeds. Um, so like 7.30 place and slower, there's really not any published lit. We mm. just got done with a project, um, and I can share I can share the abstract with you because I've got some students presenting that research abstract at one of our regional conferences um, this Thursday, actually. Oh, cool. um, but they, they, they've posted those abstracts online. So that's, you know, just a, a research abstract. It says it's gone through, like, full peer review yet. Um, but we've got that manuscript being drafted right now. And we looked at 
Um, we looked at eight minute mile pace, which would be like a what, 3.30 marathon. And we looked at uh, what's the equivalent of like a 4.15 marathon. I think it's like and nine, I think that's uh, like a 9.45 pace. Nine, yeah, 9.30 yeah. or something. We basically, we looked at 10 and 12 kilometers per hour. So it corresponds to like, you know, 3.30 to 4.15 uh, marathoners. But I think that's a great question. That's one of the questions we've had is like, should, you know, your average runners be interested in these shoes or and if they are what what kind of benefits are they getting um and what we saw in that that most recent study we looked at 16 runners eight men eight women and the benefits are more were more around like one and a half percent um for the vaporfly mm. compared to our control shoe that we use at the eight minute mile per hour speed um so for like your 330 marathoner um and a little bit less so even like a little bit less than one percent at like the 940 pace really um, so and so and and you know i think like theory there i'm working with actually a, a biomechanist um who's helping with kind of some of the the theory behind that i'm a physiologist not a biomechanist so um i think you know if you're loading the foam up less you've got less ground reaction forces it's kind of like that you're loading the spring less um maybe that explains some of that that we've observed so um, so yeah, so that, when we get that paper out, um, hopefully, uh, let's see if we get, if we get the preprint out of it, like we did with the last paper, that'll be out hopefully here soon, um, as it works its way through like peer review. But, um, but that would be the first study that, that I'm aware of that's actually like got published data on slower speeds. Okay. Um, no, that's not to say one and a half percent is still a very meaningful like benefit. You know, that's yeah. for, for a 330 marathoner, that's still going to give you, I don't have the calculations right in front of me, but you're, you're still getting probably four minutes or so of time benefit from that in yeah. a marathon. I mean, that's and then I think the, the the other thing is we're looking like acutely at economy, like over a five minute trial. Um, so if the shoe is the extra cushioning that you get from it is maybe causing less muscle damage over the course of a longer race, the, the benefits might be amplified beyond that. That, that okay. was the part that I was going to allude to. And I didn't know if you guys are doing any testing with that. One of the things that we think is a benefit to anybody wearing the shoe, especially even these faster, we're seeing records being broken, broken now. And we, you know, kind of in our mind are saying, Hey, could it possibly be the recovery from these shoes now that we have more cushioning and a softer shoe and it's easier on your legs. Some of these athletes can train harder day after day without risk of injury because they're wearing a shoe that protects their legs a little bit better. And that is maybe even more so the key than just the race performance on the day is that you're having, you know, like say that Kira D'Amato, for example, is training in these shoes that have more cushioning. Her legs are feeling better. She can go out and push the pace more often, do harder workouts more often and that kind of stuff. Is there anything that you guys are doing that would um, bring that into the equation? Yeah. So I, we're not doing that work right now. Um, that's a little bit to, you know, get into the realm of training studies where you got to like manipulate training and have this group running this shoe for six months and this group running this shoe for X months. Like, um, you can see how those studies are, are really difficult to do. Um, but I, I definitely think in theory that makes, makes good sense. And from personal experience, um, makes good sense. So I, I, I don't know that I would say more so that's how they're helping. I think that's going to, you know, play a role and it definitely plays a factor. Um, but I think you could have someone who hasn't trained in that shoe and you slap a 4% benefit shoe on them. They're going to immediately perform better independent yeah. of any, any lack of training they had done in that shoe. So, um, so I think, I think there's probably both those angles are relevant. I, I had wondered this for a while and I, I wanted to kind of figure out how you do this in the lab. You are testing 
some pretty high-end shoes. We're talking about the Vaporfly, Alphafly, MSP Sky, a lot of the carbon-plated shoes. How do you, I guess, get all those shoes? Or And do you use them like more than one time? Do you track how many miles are on each shoe? I'm assuming they're not all fresh for every you know, run that you do uh, with athletes. So how does that work? Yeah, so the first study that we did where we compl- compared seven different super shoes and one control shoe, I had like a $3,000 grant, an internal grant, and I was able to purchase that, you know, small run of sizes. We had 10, 10 and a half, 11 in men's shoes and those eight shoes. And I, I have a whole buddy that I ran against in college who, <laughs> um, he uh, runs Fleet Fleet Austin, Ari Perez. Um, and so he, he was able to help me get, uh, one, acquire the shoes and, and then, um, purchase some of them at cost to save some money. Okay. Um, so, so he was a big help. And, um, so I think I, I begged for like another thousand dollars from my department chair on that study. So, so we got that study done for like 4k and actually bought all the shoes, no partnerships with, with running shoe companies or anything. Gotcha. And then we just crowdfunded, um, about $1,200 to purchase uh, vapor flies and control shoes and women's sizes um, for our last study. So it's kind of just nickel and diamond things like that. I've got some, some other internal money I'm trying to get right now because we're looking, we want to do some stuff with spikes. Um, but yeah, in terms of like tracking the mileage. So like in that last study we did where you've got 12 guys in those eight different shoes, the, for the testing that we do, you only need like two reps in each shoe for five minutes. So like, so a whole, like one of those subjects, I only need 10 minutes in a shoe. So, so you, you could run through a lot of people before you're even getting, you know, 20, 30 kilometers on a shoe. Okay. But I did see so, that you did a vapor fly, like how much did it maintain over time? I saw that and I love that because I honestly feel the original vapor fly that came out did kind of die out after 200 miles. You know, you started to feel some compression of the foam, but the alpha fly definitely i feel like you can run that into the ground pretty much and your test again like prove that yeah yeah so kind of to put a button on what robbie was asking i do keep track of like the mileage on our shoes and at some point i'm gonna have to retire my like research line of shoes i'm not exactly sure (laughs) what like mileage that is you know we start getting 50 miles plus on them probably Mm -hmm. um but because of the nature of like how the testing is done they're they have a pretty decent shelf life um, for the testing we're doing. Okay. But yeah, so to, to Thomas's question, I, I haven't done, I need somebody to say, if anybody's got a, a pair of vapor flies size 10 that's got like a ton of miles on them, send them to me and I'll test the vapor flies the same way I did the alpha flies. So okay. the alpha fly, yeah. alpha fly is like my personal uh, race hard workout shoe. And so I've got an old pair of alpha flies that have 300 miles on them now. And I'm just going to keep running them up. And then I've got like my pair that I reserved for, for just racing now. And so, yeah, when I got that new pair, I compared them to the, the old pair that had at that time, I think like 250 miles on them. And yeah, they were basically good as new. It was like four and a half percent versus 4% or so. Um, so, which is nice. I think I like asking the questions that like the average consumer is like, when, when do I need to spend another $300 yeah. on shoes and have my spouse get mad at me again? Right. <laughs> um, and it's like, okay, these are probably still doing all right for me. So, um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see as I think the outsole wear is probably going to like be more critical than like that zoom x foam breaking down just on yeah. its own i think like pictures people have seen me of like beat up shoes it's like once the outsole goes then you start chewing up shred all it out yeah yeah and that's yeah. it it's gonna but depend I, I think i think the alpha fly that. the the alpha fly versus vapor fly thing you know you got the airbags in the alpha fly so that's probably a little more like um resilient 
um, over time than, than probably the foam is. So that, that might play a role if the vapor flies feel like they're breaking down sooner. I mean, I have three pairs of alpha fly and that I rotate that I still use all of them. And I can slightly tell like the difference between a little giddy up in the oldest pair versus the newest pair. But overall, like I could probably still race in all of them. Yeah. And that, that's what the kind of running commie testing I did. I would, a 4% pair, I'd still take those over any other shoe in my lineup than my, <laughs> than, you know. So when we're talking about testing the shoes, I think we alluded to the fact that you showed the results and statistics on your Instagram and it kind of aligns with what we think. Give us a rundown. What's the best race day shoe or saves that gives you the most you know, percentage boost and then right down the, right down the line. I want to, cause I think our listeners we, I, would want to know. Yeah, they would wanna, I, I know. From watching you know, channel. what do our, but for yeah. everyone who's listening, what's, what, what have you found? Yeah. So to go back to like our original, um, when I first kind of put some stuff out there on the Instagram space was the, the preprint of our super shoe comparison study where we looked at, what all did we look at? Um, the alpha fly, the vapor fly, the Asics Metaspeed Sky. And so those were kind of the top three mm-hmm. in terms of, they were all kind of equally competitive in terms of giving you that around 3% or so running economy benefit. And we also looked at the Endorphin Pro from Saucony, the RC Elite from New Balance. Those were kind of mid-tier around 1.5% benefit, but not quite as good as those The original those RC Elite, not the RC Elite. Team. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so this is the challenge with <laughs> doing running shoe research in the academic sector is we can't keep up with <laughs> new shoe releases, right. you know, like, so for, for science to play its course, to obtain funding, to get the shoes, to get the subjects, to collect good data, write up the results, go through the peer review process. So like I released a preprint of that paper back in mid September and it just got posted online actually today. Oh, wow. Um, the, the peer reviewed published version. Where is can out they today. go for that? Where can people grab it? Um, I can send you the link, but it's it's um, published through Footwear Science. So okay. if, they, if they search Footwear Science, you can see it in the latest articles. Yeah, send now, us a that, link. That article will be paywalled unless they have access. Oh, but, okay. um, you can still access the preprint that we released. So that's okay. the nice thing about a preprint is it's open access, that, that piece of it. So the paper more or less, you know, there's some stuff in the discussion that has shifted based on like what reviewers like or don't like how you kind of explain things, but the data and the conclusions are the same as, as what you would have seen in the preprint. So. Gotcha. So yeah, so yeah, that's, you know, we at the time at the time obtained the most recent shoes that were available um so when we had the the rc ones there the endorphin pro ones um those kind of fell on the that mid sector around one and a half percent benefit and then we looked at the brooks hyperion elite 2 and the hoka rocket x and um those really didn't offer any any um substantial benefit again benefit relative <laughs> back to the control up. shoe those, see no comment we, we don't we don't need the uh <laughs> the economy that's something your, per, your personal experience yeah. would validate that i'm guessing this is what i love about it like if anything like it would be really disheartening heartening if we came up with wildly different you know views that you're coming up with a test i guess what my main question would be for you though is like is it I'm guessing that some of the shoe brands have said, Hey, we can send you shoes, but you, you don't want to have shoes provided by the manufacturers for testing. Uh, so no, no shoe companies don't really say, Hey, we want to send you shoes. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not against taking like donations in kind. Really anyone who's doing shoe research at some point 
have some conflict of interest. Like I, I don't yeah. yet, but if you look at anyone who's published shoe research, <laughs> um, multiple articles of shoe research, they all have some conflict of interest, you know? Um, like even when, so, even when, uh, companies like an independent lab confirmed like these findings, there's still a degree well, of it's level. It's funding the, if right. at a certain point, Nike comes to somebody and says, we want to test yeah. this shoe. Can you, here's some money. Can you test it? But the, the thing is that if it is, and here's where, I, again, I would think that you're studying a lab with, you know, people on with, with the machines and the, you know, testing the breathing and testing the economy. It's not like it can get biased. Like, it's not like if I really love Nikes and you put me on the treadmill with it, that I'm going to naturally run faster with less energy expense. Is it? Right. Yeah. So that goes to kind of the nature of running economy testing. Um, and so it is a, it's a sub maximal physiological variable that we're testing and it's not really dependent on like your subjective effort or your perceived effort. And so, so yeah, you wouldn't think that your kind of preconceived notion about the shoe or not being able to blind you to the shoe would have an impact on like the physiological response that we're, we're measuring. Now, if I asked you to go do a time trial in this shoe versus that shoe, and you really thought this shoe's awesome and this shoe sucks, then that might impact your effort or how well you might think you might perform in the time trial and that sort of expectancy might affect things. But, but if you had my heart rate a, and my oxygen measured during that time trial, wouldn't you be able to see that I was maybe giving a less effort? We, yeah, yeah, that would, that would be something we could look at um, if, we, if we were choosing to test like in a maximal manner. But for, for economy testing, it's gotta be sub-threshold anyway. Um, so it's pretty manageable intensity and, and I'm not even really focused on perceived effort when we're testing people in that way. It's just so the, the physiological what, measures. So when you do the tests, what are they running? Is it like an all out effort or like what's the, what are the parameters that you set for the, for the athlete that's testing the shoes? Yeah. Yeah. So for economy testing, since we're measuring oxygen consumption as a means to determine your energy expenditure we need to make sure that you are working like primarily aerobically. So if you go too hard and you start to have a greater contribution from like anaerobic metabolism, mm -hmm. um, so think like above tempo pace, um, you know, 5K pace, mile pace faster, you're going to have a larger contribution at that point or an increasing contribution from anaerobic sources of energy. And so we can't strictly quantify your energy expenditure using oxygen consumption alone at that, alone at that point. So in order to control for that, economy testing is always done like below your, your threshold, below okay. lactate threshold. So think like slower than tempo pace. Right. So if I asked you to, to do like um, eight by five minutes um, slower than your tempo pace with a five minute recovery, you'd feel like that'd be a pretty manageable workout, I bet. Right. Um, and so, so that's, that's what we're doing with economy testing. So we have, it depends on what speed you want to test at. So like in our larger super shoe study, we tested at six minute mile pace. And so in order to make sure that our subjects can run tempo pace at like six minute mile pace or faster, we needed people who were like 1730 or so 5k <laughs> runners, um, to kind of translate that. And so we use some, some kind of like when I'm recruiting, I'll, I'll say, okay, this is the speed we want to test that this would correspond to a threshold around this. This is the performance criteria that might correspond to that. And so we, we, um, sort of recruit in that way from the start. And then there are some safeguards, like some checks that we look at, some different physiological markers we look at to make sure someone's actually below threshold during the testing.
second check-in. God, I love spring. It's the best. Like, look around. Buds are starting to come out. You're hearing more trees in the air. No, not trees in the air. Birds in the air. They land on trees. But it's a wonderful time to be alive. More light in the morning. More light in the evening. Keep those miles rolling. And watch out for them flying trees. How hard is it to find test subjects? Because I feel like that's a very specific range, especially with the shoe sizes maybe that you have. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even <laughs> think about that. you got to match. Yeah. Like how... I feel like it's hard enough just to find the right reviewers that we need for the match shoe sizes and types and preferences. So how does that work for you? It's tough. It depends on, it depends on how fast you want to test first. Um, so obviously the faster you test, the more you limit the sample of people you can pull from. Mm -hmm. And then you have a restricted size range on top of that. I mean, that's why shoe research is hard to do. So people are like, why hasn't anyone done these super shoe comparisons before? It's like, well, I don't have 20 pairs uh, of, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The cost of the cost of having a really wide run of shoes. And so, so yeah, we, that was, that was a tough decision just when we were doing that initial study deciding like, okay, what size run of shoes am I going to go for? Like, you know, I talked to some buddies in the footwear industry and, you know, running shoes, specialty stores, like, should I do 10, 11, uh, 10, 10 and a half, 11, 11, 11, half 12. Like it's, and then you start thinking like convenient sample. It's like, okay, I know five guys from nearby who are a 10 and a half. So like Here's it, it's, the crazy thing, though, when you start talking about sizes, so when they make the shoes, the usual sample size is nine for men, seven for women. And so when they're testing originally, when Nike goes out to test, say, the Vaporfly uh, originally when they first came out, I'm guessing that they're doing it at like a size 11. Like they didn't even come out with a size 12 for a long time. So I'm going to guess that the size of the shoe also makes a difference on the load in the plate and how the economy works. The bigger you go, I would think that it starts, there would be variance in just the difference between a size nine and a size 12. There's probably a difference in how much energy return that shoe gets. And it would also, I guess, depend on the runner and how much leverage they could put on the plate if they, you know, size 12 or whatever. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure that's something that, the shoe companies have to look at in development and their own internal testing. And I'm, you know, I'm not sure what all they're doing there in terms of like what I could speak to, I guess, is the, the published research that's out there. I think the one study that was done that wasn't on like a really small range of sizes was, um, the Barnes and Kilding study that kind of, that was an, another independent study where they, they like confirmed the, the claims of the initial Nike Vaporfly prototype paper. And they did look at men and women in like a wider range of sizes and both for, for men and women at those like speeds we previously talked about, those, those faster speeds, saw consistent benefits. So I think, you know, whatever we can glean from that, um, it seemed like the shoe for, for the given individual that shoe was doing its job That's cool. um, kind of across a, a wider range. I, I don't know the sizes off the top of my head, but I do know he had a, he had a wider range of sizes. So it sounds really cool when you say the name of the uh, report. Was it Barnes and somebody or something? Barnes and uh, Barnes and Kilding. Barnes Barnes and Kilding. Is yours on? Is your name on uh, your research? Yeah. So that paper that that just got published online today after going through peer review. That's yeah. That's out now. What's, that's it, what's my name? What's did you title? have? Do you have a person on with you, or is it just you? Uh, yeah, it's one of, one of my students who helped collect data on the project and was was involved with it. Um, pretty pretty involved so um yeah it's that, that's joe baron jones joe oh, baron jones nice. i like it <laughs> i'd buy something from that company the t is silent people <laughs> <laughs> what i wanted to ask you was are you just looking at 
uh, strictly the percentage performance, or are you doing anything with the actual foam the compression performance or the energy that you know is returned from the like foam? the physical exactly. parts Any, of the shoe? Anything like that, or is it just strictly the yeah? Energy? So I, I don't I don't have access personally to any like the kind of engineering equipment okay. that you would need to test like the shoe's compliance and resilience because that's one of the things in the the original Nike study. Um, that showed the 4% benefit yeah. of the Vaporfly prototype. They also showed that the shoe was more compliant, which basically means that it compresses more. Um, it has, it stores more energy and then it's also more resilient. So it returns more energy. Hmm. And that was like kind of the big thing with the, the Piba foam and the, the zoom X foam in that study. Right. And, um, since then the other shoe studies have mostly just been about economy. Um, I'm collaborating with a, with a colleague who, who does do, um, mechanical testing engineering testing like that to okay. test some of the shoes that we had from that study so that'll be really interesting to see because that it would be nice if you could just do mechanical testing on the shoes and say okay we can predict performance the bit the economy benefit of this shoe based on its mechanical principles so um, I without guess, having to round up all these people and do all this human testing mm -hmm. so that would that would play into a different question i suppose because one of the questions i want to ask you about was the illegal shoes, when you get up to the above 40 millimeter stack in the, in the heel, that's not going to be your special. You'll be able to tell me if that shoe is less taxing on your economy, but you're not going to be able to say, okay, the reason why they went up to 40 millimeters, they felt like there was too much of that bounce back and it was creating too much of a advantage. Um, do you have any, any thoughts on some of these shoes? Like we're going to see some shoes coming out. Like already we have the Adidas prime x which is above um the like 50 yeah and then i know new balance has one coming out soon uh that for a person like us who are we're not going to be podium at new york city marathon uh you know we can go ahead and use those but it in technically if we were a sponsored athlete they would be illegal yeah i think Without doing the testing, I'd, I'd say we don't know. So we need to get you in the lab in the the fifty millimeter shoe and the forty millimeter shoe and really see. And it'd be easy to tell you really quick, you know. I um, mean, and there has to be like and, a, a level at some point where it's a negative return, right? Sure. Yeah. So I think the prime I think X felt it's, like that. Yeah. yeah it's it, if you just keep adding more and more foam, at some point you're not going to get any like extra benefit from the storage and energy return. You're just carrying around a heavier shoe. Right. And so that's that's been the interesting thing about these these new foams that are so compliant and resilient is that you can and, and they're lightweight but you can get away with a heavier shoe because you're getting that the kind nice. of energy savings and returning benefits from it um, but yeah there's got to be diminishing return and kind of a flip at some point um, and that might be different for different individuals you know like a larger body mass individual might benefit from that true right um uh, or someone running faster with like more ground reaction force maybe benefits from that that larger spring. So there's some some with some of that mechanical testing they'll like show that like if the shoe bottoms out if you bottom out the foam then you you're not getting like as much as you could out of it. So I could see in, in those instances like having a little more would be a good thing. Um, but yeah, you know, hard to say. I I don't I don't necessarily I think I think those things will kind of be self-limiting because like you said like you put this 50 millimeter shoe on or let's go at extremes at 60 millimeters and it's like no this doesn't work right and yeah. so mm -hmm. I couldn't I think some of those things will be self-limiting like when they look even the world athletics regulations um one of my one of my colleagues Jeff Burns at University of Michigan who had like called for some of the regulations and things got down to like the 40 millimeter limit and part of that I, I think his argument for that was just to like limit 
the amount of space you had to do new crazy stuff with like so yeah. so who knows what the next new engineering thing will be and so it's like if you just have a limited space to work with it, it might not necessarily just be that like oh we're trying to prevent foam from being this thick it's like that i mean we've, we've seen that with the iphone anyway. though i mean sooner or later you can pack a whole lot into <laughs> into the same space but i mean that's that brings up another question obviously when you're testing people just because they can hold a pace doesn't mean they have a certain body or physique, um, you know, that, that matches is, are you finding that if someone can run that pace, whether regardless of weight or size, height, whatever it, the economy is pretty much the same across the board. I think that's one of like the big unanswered questions. Still, most of the, the shoe studies that have been done are really trying to say like, what percent benefit is this shoe relative to a control shoe or relative to this other shoe? They haven't really been designed to say like who are the big responders and who's the the smaller responders. And we do see ranges of responsiveness, like going back to that original vapor ply study, I think, you know, 4% was the average, but you saw a range of responses of probably like barely 2% up to like, I think even seven, 8%. Wow. Um, And then, and same thing in our study, we, we saw like our average was around 3%. But we had people in the alpha fly that got like no benefit because they really didn't like it. Um, mm. mo- more people on the lower end were probably one or two percent, and then people up like six percent. So you get these range of responsiveness. So there's is was there, there a is individual the responsiveness. Um, like people- yeah, and so that's that's the tough thing to look at is like at that point you got you got a study that has enough people in it to make shoe to shoe comparisons, but you really don't have enough people in it mm. to make person to person comparisons. So it's like. Um, when you're mismaking shoe to shoe comparisons, it's like I'm comparing me to myself across yeah. these different shoes right. or you to yourself across these different shoes. And it's easy to make conclusions that way. Um, but if I want to compare you to Robbie, I need more you and Robbie's like in the study. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, I think um, that that's going to be something interesting going forward as like the kind of research builds in these areas in this area, which I think it's going to continue to in our, in our study, if I just looked at like the six highest responders to those top three shoes that we had, um, and the six lowest responders, those were still the best shoes for everybody. But if I looked at like who had the bigger responses versus the lower responses, we saw that the people who were least economical to begin with got more of the benefit. <laughs> so like, so if you have poor economy, the right. shoes are helping you more. They're helping you close the gap on your more economical peers. Yeah. So, yeah. which is kind of, it's kind of interesting because it's like, you think of those big performance predictors, VO2 max, lactate threshold and economy. It's like, we're probably not changing much with VO2 max and lactate threshold with the shoes. And so if you were already really gifted in those areas, but economy was your weakness, that's kind of like, it's helping you more than maybe someone who already was super economical. Uh, interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how like more of the long-term performance data plays out looking at that. If we can make comparisons among different like populations of people, maybe. So yeah. you're basically saying for, for the non-scientific people out there, if, if you kind of have poor running economy but you put on a shoe like an alpha fly it can it can actually help you more than somebody who has good running economy and the shoe the shoe just helps a little bit more which you said earlier one to two percent still means for four minutes or so over a marathon potentially which you know right now if you think about boston cutoff times not this year because they let everybody in but Typically, they run right around four minutes, five minutes. So that that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the benefits are to, to be had for a wide range of people. But um, 
I think that, yeah, like you said, the people are less economical to begin with. I, I think of it for myself now. Like, so I've been running for 20 plus years and like, I, I feel like my economy is bad now and I have like <laughs> no elasticity. I have like no elasticity or stiffness left in like my gastrox and Achilles. It's just like, I'm just pounding the ground. And so when I put like a shoe on that gives me more of those kind of elastic springy properties, I, I feel it feels amazing, you know? So I, I could see potentially like, Someone who's really economical, young, has all that stiffness left in their mm-hmm. <laughs> their tendons in their feet, um, getting less benefit than someone who's older and aging and sure. and uh, doesn't now obviously the speed if you're you got to control for speed speed across those those ranges but um, but yeah I'm, I'm I'm a high I'm a high responder I'm a high responder like if you look at my data compared to compared to the overall study data I'm a I'm a big responder to the Alpha Fly so. All right, final check-in. Hopefully you did not run into a tree or have a tree land on you and you're still enjoying this beautiful springtime weather. I know here where we are, it's going to be 80 degrees on Monday. It's going to be insane. I'd take off my shirt if it wouldn't blind you, but I don't want to scare you, so don't try to picture that. Just keep those miles rolling. Finish up this run strong. I did want to ask you when you're doing the studies, uh, obviously we talked about all the super shoes, but what's the control shoe that you're using? The Asics. Did you say that? Oh, I'm sorry. I might have missed that. Yeah. For my, for my lab, we're using the Asics hyperspeed oh, okay. just because it's like a old school know. racing flat. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, okay. It's cheap. It's cheap. It's, yeah. uh, it doesn't have a carbon plate. It uses standard EVA. It it used to be worn by really fast people. Ryan right. Hall's I always I always call it the Ryan Hall special because that's Ryan Hall's a, a half marathon record. He's so angry, record He's so angry about that. Dude, he could be running fifty eight. Yeah, it is, is man. Cool. It's pretty insane how good that guy was, right? Yeah. So he, the time he ran back f- in that era, do you and that hasn't been now? touched since. Yeah. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love. I, he's one of my favorite Instagram followers. I think he's just a. <laughs> Amazing. He's a great, so as an exercise physiology professor, he's a great example of specificity of training. So. Yeah. yeah, really. I mean, went from being like lith, uh, is that, am I using yeah. the right word? Like, yeah. yeah. To, to like Hulk-like, like he's jacked. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. great. He's an impressive responder to training for sure, <laughs> whatever it is he's doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Um, so if you had to speculate what gives the what makes it more efficient for runners as far as the super shoes, carbon plate, P-backs, foam? What do you, is it one of those things? Is it the foam? Is it the combination of the plate giving you a propulsive element? Or is it that it's able to save your legs for an entire marathon? I, I think there's, I've seen several different hypotheses, even as, so far as the carbon plate doesn't really give you a spring so much as it helps stabilize that larger stack of foam to give you, you know, a more, so that you can throw in 40 millimeters of foam and for an entire 26 miles or whatever. So what, uh, if you had to give your own kind of guess, what would you say it is? Yeah. So when, when it comes to like the economy stuff that we've studied in the laboratory, it's over short windows of time. So it's less about the saving the leg stuff, not to say there's not a benefit right. for that, that when we can talk about that, but for like the lab testing that's been done, I think it's it's largely tied to like the increased compliance and resilience of the the new midsole foams, mm-hmm. and and obviously you know 
I'm not a footwear designer. You guys talk to footwear industry people. Um, and so y'all know so much more that goes into the design of a running shoe and the overall geometry of the shoe and different factors that kind of have to mesh together. So I think that's the big new innovation is the foam. I think the plate, like you said, is probably important for like giving that all of that squishy foam some stability. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the research that like just looks at plates alone, like in terms of increasing longitudinal bending stiffness in the shoe, that's a little more like wishy washy on how useful that is in right. its own right. And plates so have I, been around the for foam, a long time. Yeah, yeah, in some form or fashion, people have played around with plates, and so you know the shape of the plate whether it's curved or flat, you know, that, that is another element in like the geometry that probably needs to like all mesh together. Um, but I think kind of the foam is the, the big innovation. Yeah. Um, that'll, that's why I'm interested to see with the, the materials testing that we've got, see how that correlates with the actual economy benefits we saw. So, um, and then, yeah, to your question of like, you know, outside of the economy benefits, definitely long-term in a race, if you have less muscle damage because it, your muscles didn't have to work as hard <laughs> right. over the course of the first 20 miles, then you're going to be better off, right? Um, and so there is limited – Nike's Performance Lab had some some like research abstract data from a conference where they showed some of that muscle damage um, data where they had some blood okay. marker – markers of muscle damage after I think it was like Portland marathon or something, mm. um, with people who had, who had been in like, I think it was the vapor fly versus, a uh, maybe Pegasus or something. Don't quote me on the, the exacts there, okay. but they did, they do have some data to show like markers of muscle damage were reduced in the, the new shoes, the advanced shoes compared to the traditional shoes. And, yeah. and that's probably consistent with a lot of the anecdotal evidence people have experienced that, you're not blowing up as bad at, you know, I've, I've only run two marathons, but my last one that went a heck of a lot better than the first one. <laughs> I was at, I was at mile 21, 22. And I was like, what's happening here? Hey. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what's going what, on. What here. were you wearing <laughs> like, the, for the first one? Th- things are still working. Um, the first race I did, uh, in the, uh, the carbon X's, that's actually what started my, my whole endeavor into the shoe research is that I had a pair of carbon X's. That was my first carbon shoe. And I was like, oh, these are cool. I feel the stiffness and the rigidity of them. Like I, you know, and I did my whole marathon build up in that. I raced in those, um, didn't go well. And then I was like, I was about to buy the second pair of them, but I was like, I'm going to test myself in the lab. So that was my first case study test I did on shoes. I actually compared the Carbon X's to like my old Tracer 2 flats that I had from Hoka. And they were both the exact same. And, um, and so I was like, all right, well, let's buy some album flies. They were like available at the time. This is like a little over a year ago. Uh, and, and I got the alpha flies in and before taking them out on the roads, I tested them and I was like, Oh, turns out I'm not just a non-responder. I actually am a big responder. Yeah. It's just, there's the differences in these shoes. And so, so that was like the first thing I was like, man, if this is this, this different here and people are all this chatter about what shoes are best. I was like, let's try to get some money and like buy as many shoes as we can. So that's what started everything actually. And, and for um, our audience, this is a doctor. Dustin Jobert mm-hmm. is Dr. Just Dustin Jobert. He's a doctor and of science. You just heard if you need alpha flies, you should get them. He's giving you the pat, a free pass. <laughs> yeah, there's a prescription. You should write prescriptions <laughs> yeah, for alpha flies. He will love you. Yeah. I'm one of those fake PhD doctors, though. So. <laughs> yeah. We'll take it. Yeah. Anything to validate uh, the, uh, the obsession. <laughs> Yeah. No, I definitely, I mean, it's a no brainer for me. It, that shoe is well worth the money. Well, um, it's funny because w- the other debate is people see people like, um, our friend Illy Kipchoge choosing the vapor fly over the alpha fly for a race. And again, what our conjecture was is that 
he's making moves, he's changing paces, he's, you know, not setting in, like our goal in a marathon is to find the perfect pace and roll all the way to the finish in that perfect pace. Maybe pick it up a little bit towards the end. But when you're racing and you have to cover moves and, you know, you know, change up your gear to drop people or to bring people back in, I think that the alpha fly is not as responsive in those particular cases as maybe the vapor fly. And that's why I would think that why a pro might choose the vapor fly over the alpha fly from time to time. But I believe in my heart that the alpha fly is (laughs) the better economy shoe. Yeah. So I would say if the, if the alpha fly is the better economy shoe for that individual, it's probably the better economy shoe across a decent range of racing speeds to where it could probably handle those changes in paces. Like I, you know, I'm four and a half percent in the alpha fly. I'm 3% in the vapor fly. And I'm gonna run an alpha fly from everything a mile and longer yeah. because right. because of that. So, so I but I do think that's a really interesting question. Is like all the pros in vapor flies and very few in alpha flies, which is which is interesting though because when you look at the women's field, there's a lot more women who are wearing mm. alpha flies. Um, and and of course Kipchoge his sub two is actually in the alpha fly. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I so I I would say one we don't we don't have enough we really don't have any research data. Um, on really fast guys in the alpha fly, you know, in all the previous lit is just in the vapor fly line, and they've gone up to five twenty pace in those studies. Mm-hmm. But our study is the first one that has the alpha fly in the lineup that's tested, and we only tested up to six minute pace. Okay. And so the alpha fly was was similar to vapor fly, but it was a little bit better, like just in terms of numbers, not statistical significance. Um, but when you look at like individual responders, we have some people who are good one and a half, two percent better in the alpha fly versus the vapor fly. You don't see that in the reverse. Okay. Like you don't you don't see people Nobody who are worse. like really monster responders in the vapor fly. So I think for those people, those people who are big alpha fly responders, like that's the go to shoe. Yeah. And so like I, I'm one of those people and so it's that that makes it a no brainer for me. Um but that might not be the case for a lot of the elites who are wearing it. They might be very similar, or they might be a little better in the Vaporfly. And I think when you start to consider it that way, it's like, okay, what shoe just feels more like natural and is less wonky? And it's yeah. probably the Vaporfly. Which shoe, after like having it on your foot for 20 minutes or 20 miles, feels like less restrictive or less like stuck in this one movement pattern? Yeah. Um, maybe that's the Vaporfly. So yeah. I, I could see that. Um, but I think, I think the speed thing might matter too. Maybe at the, the much faster speeds that they're running. Um, that is better for their mechanics. Um, okay, that's fair. I, I always think back. I think to Rupp. Rupp. Rupp's one of the you know few top pros who wears the Alpha Fly, and I I I gotta think he's got his own lab testing data. Right. You know, that's <laughs> he's probably he's he's always been over all the science of the, the sports stuff. So I gotta think he's got his own lab testing data that like validates he should be wearing those. Um, I you so. know, this might be a weird. I just thought of this, but this might be a weird, not conspiracy theory hypothesis. I wonder if there's any thought going into a major marathon, if you're wearing the alpha flies, the off chance, the very slight off chance that you could pop a bubble mid-race and that would like sway someone's opinion. I've, I've heard some people like conjecture that on like the Instagram shoe guys, but <laughs> yeah, so I, not, not, not. I don't, it doesn't like on clean roads in a major it, city. I'm going to put it on the I Reddit conspiracy say, threads I, board I to see what happens. It never happened, but Megan, our Megan, was running in her first pair of alpha flies <laughs> and stepped on a nail and drove it right through her pod. Now Nike was nice enough to send her a new pair, 
but if it happens one out of every hundred runs and and, you know what, you, and that one run is during a major marathon. You'd be so pissed. No, because here's the weird thing about it. I don't think you can feel. It's got those tensile fibers in there. It, I don't know how much you're going to feel the air loss. Okay, next test. You so so we pops. did this test. I don't know did if you, you guys. I don't know if you guys saw those results. So no, we, I, think I, I did see the backs. picture that you posted. I didn't see the results. So yeah, so I, you know, from time to time, I've asked people like, oh, what do you want me to test next? And we joked about a popped pair of uh, airbags. And so a dude sent me a pair of okay. size. I always joke, if everybody sends me a pair of size 10, I'll test whatever. Um, so he sent me a pair of size 10s, and he said, here, you can pop these. They're old. Um, and so so we popped a pair. And uh, now I, I did all four airbags. So it wasn't like if you deflated one, okay. you know, it would probably feel a little like wonky. Um, yeah, yeah. So I did all four. And my, my thought was not like, okay, this is like, I would really consider running in these. It was more like, what does this element of the shoe contribute right. to like its economy benefits? So I compared those to my like intact new version, and I, it was still like three percent benefit or like upper twos compared to like the four four and a half. So, so it was still like a three. You said it was still like a three percent benefit. Yeah, yeah, with the popped airbag. With so, the popped airbag. So if they did pop See, in a race, I would just keep rolling. I should come to work for you. <laughs> or if they or if they felt too wonky just you know you could have a safety pin and pop the other three and then so, you'd, you'd be right. level so you'd, the, <laughs> that's that's smart right. you'd have your safety pin on you with your uh, bib okay but to me then the popped airbags are just a uh window dress or the airbags at that point are just window dressing well right? no i mean they lo- I, I lost a good percentage and a half benefit there so because oh, you're that saying, element okay, of the yeah, shoe yeah, now now you could ask the question of like what if there was just foam there you know, right. and I didn't have this just this empty space there. Like I probably wouldn't lose as large of a amount. Well, it might be even smaller. So, so yeah, I, I can't really say. What's going to be interesting but, um, is the new Alpha Fly has a little bit of foam between the pod and the outsole, so you're going to have another layer of protection. Be- yeah, you know, for that, I, I, it just seems like seems like such a small chance that you're going to pop one of those bags. I am surprised some guy sent his into you because I can't let it's it's the one shoe I can't let go of. Like I, I just I like I like those are my race shoes and so they have memories. He but sleeps with them at night. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, there probably is someone out there who sleeps with their alpha. I can guarantee it. When you're a little kid, when you got a new pair of shoes, you didn't put them up on your dresser yeah. so you could see them like first thing and last thing when you're going to bed. I don't know. I, I do hide the alpha flies from my three-year-old and my dog. So they <laughs> there stay you on go. The upper shelf. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's probably one of the more valuable yeah. things that you own. <laughs> what's what's your three-year-old's pace? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She's work. She's working on it. Okay. Right. Yeah, they need to make. Dude, if they made baby alpha flies, those things would sell. People would buy them, especially if they lit up. <laughs> oh, like the LA lights. Yeah, like they alpha people love it. <laughs> Definitely, the right. shoot the shoe geeks would be all over it. Yeah. Well, this is this is fascinating. I think people are going to really get a kick out of listening to this. I think that uh, uh, I think we can maybe start to wrap it up yeah, a sure. little bit here. I, one thing we'd like to ask is um, is what is your favorite uh, running shoe? And I, I think I know what it is. But how about when you're not racing? What's your favorite uh, daily trainer? Yeah, so I I went through four pairs of the 1080 V10s. Yeah. All right. 
I think that's the right version. Was it, the 11s are out now, right? Uh, Le- yes, yeah. 12s are coming, yeah. And the 12s are about to be released. Yeah, yeah, so the 10s, I went through four pairs of those, so I guess that means I like them quite yeah. a bit. And the 11 is uh, pretty similar mm-hmm. to the... to the. Yeah, yeah, I've, I got a pair of the 11s finally now, and uh, I do, I feel like they're they're pretty pretty darn close. Um, no, I'm, I'm kind of boring when it comes to trainers. Like, I don't go through a bunch of training shoes. If Well, one, I don't run a ton of mileage, but um, if something works for me, I just stay in it. Until yeah. Yeah. until they change some piece of it that makes me upset, and then I go somewhere <laughs> new. But um, yeah, before that, I run in the Bondies forever. I like the Bondies a lot. But I've, yeah, I've got uh, your comfort like guy. bursitis. Yeah. Heel, I've got heel bursitis issues, and so you know, just a small tweak in something in like the heel counter mm-hmm. or the collar just can irritate that back nuts. of my heel. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of have to be careful about that. That's why I like the kind of the flare and the dimple on that 1080. Gotcha. All right. And what's your favorite Will Ferrell movie? favorite <laughs> uh gotta be me me and my my old uh roommates back in graduate school can quote like every line from stepbrothers so all right there we go <laughs> i told you i didn't want salmon <laughs> said it four times i think that's thomas <laughs> is that your favorite one thomas uh, it's it's up there gotcha <laughs> i love it's up there dale <laughs> um all right well yeah thanks for thanks for everything that you do and posting all your information uh on, sharing it on your instagram it's always interesting to see yeah, I big fans of what you're doing. I it's kind of interesting because I'm not scientific. I'm more like emotional, and so all of my shoe reviews are fed off of emotion and how I feel running him. <laughs> and you know, just I've run in so many shoes now that I think I have an idea of what works and what doesn't work. But it's really interesting to see like someone take it to that next level and be like, no, this this is actual working for people and here's why it's working so it's yeah. it, i think it's also great for the industry to know that hey if you are going to spend the money and you do want a performance benefit there's a chance you are actually getting a performance benefit out of it unlike we don't know about vitamins or cbd you know <laughs> just just puts, throwing that puts stuff me to sleep i yeah. don't know about the rest uh yeah if you want to buy your way to boston you can do it I don't think that's fair. <laughs> I'm still not there. Yeah. But yeah. You can buy your way into getting closer to and destroying yeah. your dreams even more. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, Dustin, thanks a lot for coming on. And uh, hopefully we talk, get to talk again soon. Sure thing. Thanks, guys. That was fun. I I tell you, I know it might have been too geeky for some people. For Robbie and myself, I feel like it was just the right level of geekiness. Robbie, what do you think? Yeah, um, definitely. It, that's all the way. <laughs> yeah, there's some Bunsen burners firing off in here <laughs> for sure. Had our T85 calculators going. <laughs> the black top table T-I- with the with the little sink in it. Yeah, um, dude. <laughs> Why do they need that? Dude, real quick story to close things out. All right. So, so you know, there's blacktop tables in the science lab. I do. So one time in high school, I just started like doodling, like drawing on it. Kick would come back the next day to class and someone else had written something. And then it started going like back and forth. Like, uh, like started writing a little bit more. Is this how you make Kimmy? No, (laughs) absolutely. No. And, uh, and then it was like, like it was like this weird like ghostwriter relationship. You didn't know who was who it was. It was clearly a chick. And so then we ended up like I don't think that's the right nomenclature for uh, this day and age. I think it was a young woman. Okay, sorry. 
<laughs> so we're writing back like back and forth but you didn't like know who it was and it was uh but it was clearly a girl so i'm intrigued because you in your head you're like oh you're building up this story and everything so then we started like writing notes and everything and putting in the drawers like mm. it started this, this is, is like a, a relationship this blossoming. is going on for like month like a long time and then finally it was like came time to like it's a boy like, and it was your mom <laughs> yeah yeah my mom goes the same science yeah. takes the same science course um it was uh so we like kind of were like yeah this is like we figured out who it was oh you did and uh it was like someone that i wasn't like that i knew and like went to elementary school with but like definitely like wasn't into like Ooh. if she's listening to the podcast sorry hon and she was like de- definitely super into me ah. and it was like super awkward this is love is blind before love, love is, is blind. blind it really was and I, of course you're like you're like 15 or 16 and so you're like you <laughs> this could be something you yeah would've, you would have failed on that show you care too much w- about looks. Apparently. I would have, yeah, Ugh, for sure. Rude. Well, I think there was like a whole like backstory. She was like really into horses and stuff, like <laughs> as a kid. So it's like, so <laughs> gosh, uh, what's wrong with being into horses? Uh, it's just like horses in like pencil boxes and stuff. Like, that sounds like every little. That's girl. just every girl at that age. <laughs> she was not into smoking you, weed keep and listening to Iron Maiden. Keep telling yourself that, Meg. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 Anyways, um, so that's not so how that's I, the blacktop table. That's story. not how I met your mother. <laughs> I feel like this goes right along with that. And then we made a bunk bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not, not even close. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, All right. So and hey, then, uh, okay, that's you, how I got into shoe reviewing because I was like, uh, I'll never let a girl write on my desk again. Mm-hmm. And no, no, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. All, right, All right. So let's wrap it up and let's say our thank yous. And uh, I'm going to say, hey, thanks for everybody tuning in this week and listening to the podcast once again and our shenanigans and all this stuff. Hopefully you enjoyed at least our guests. And uh, thanks to Todd and Dustin Jobert mm-hmm. for coming on the show. Yeah. Do you have any thanks, Meg? I mean, you said them all pretty oh, much. Thanks to Amy who wrote back and forth and had me... Uh, I oh, remember her name. Me, uh, she did leave a scar. Engaged in science class for a whole month. Yeah. He still doesn't know how to dissect a frog. <laughs> Science is the jury's still out on science. We all know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hi, mom. Bye, mom. Stick around for the hidden track. And that's a wrap. Bye.